0: Well, hey church family, we are on our second to last message in our series in Exodus. And so from the beginning of this series, what we've said is that Exodus is about God. And what Exodus is, is it's step-by-step step God's people being shown who he is. And what we said from the beginning is that we today in 2022 in America, we're in a similar situation to the Israelites in Egypt and that we are surrounded by all types of culture, all types of idolatry and different relationships that are in our culture. And all of these will affect the view that we have of, of God. And so what we said is that we, you know, everything from our relationship with our families to the different experiences that we've had growing up, all of these things contribute to the way we view God. And what we said from the beginning Is that as we're walking through exodus we've wanted to ask two questions we've wanted to ask what does god say and then also what does god do and then look at what god says and what god does and use those two things to draw conclusions about about who god is and like we said during our identity series this is important and it's not just this kind of you know pie in the sky theology because what we said is that if we start to see God rightly, then we'll start to see ourselves rightly, and if we start to see ourselves rightly, we start to see the world rightly, and then we actually start to, to live rightly in our families, in our, our jobs, in our communities, whatever the case may be. And so we've been looking for the past 33 chapters, past 32 chapters in Exodus, God has done a lot of showing his people who he is. He's shown his people who he is through his actions. He's shown his people who he is through his promises and his commands. But Exodus 34, which is what we're looking at today, is really special because in Exodus 34 God says, "Okay, I've shown you so much. I'm just going to come right out and just and just tell you. I'm going to tell you who I am." And this is really the first the first place in the Old Testament where God just, he he starts to introduce himself and he he starts to tell his people very plainly and clearly, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is what my character is. And so we're going to dive into that today. So um, let me kind of summarize Exodus 33 a little bit. So when we left the story last week, um, Matt talked about the Israelites being decaffeinated And um, so they they make the golden calf and God is really mad and he's thinking about destroying the people. But then Moses goes up, and what we saw is that Moses acts a lot like Jesus, that he takes responsibility for sins that he didn't commit. He offers for God to blot him out for the people's sins and acts as this mediator. And so God, God relents and God agrees that he won't destroy the people He agrees that he will continue to go with them, his presence will continue to go with them, and that he will still go with them and take them to the promised land, the land of Canaan, which is what he had had promised them. And so this is the the intercession. What's really interesting is um, that Moses, after God, he agrees that he is not going to destroy all the people he agrees he's still going to go with them he agrees he's still going to do for them all the things that he had promised to do before what's interesting is that moses isn't satisfied with that moses continues to to press deeper in into god and look at what he says this is in exodus 33 in um in verse 17. moses the Lord said to Moses this very thing that you have spoken I will do and so he's agreeing to do what Moses has asked to go with them and to give them the land of Canaan and then verse 18 Moses says to God he says please show me your glory and then later he says that he wants to know God's ways and so what God does Moses is asking him to understand more of who God is he wants to press deeper into who God is and so what God does is God says He's gonna, he invites Moses to come back up onto the top of Mount Sinai, and he hides Moses in a cave, and he says he's going to let his glory pass before Moses. So he can't see his face, but he'll be able to see the back of God's glory as it's passing through. And then the Lord says he's going to declare his name before Moses. And God's name, when he says he's going to declare his name we were in, introduced to this name back in Exodus chapter 3, this is the, the Lord, this is Yahweh, this is I AM, this is the capital L-O-R-D, Lord. And he's going to explain what that name means, and he's going to explain some of his characteristics and his, his attributes. And that takes us to the text we're really going to dive into today, which is in Exodus 34 verse 5. So if you haven't already turned there, grab your Bible. And turn with me to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5. Um, so these verses that I'm about to read, they we, we heard them earlier kind of quoted and paraphrased in Psalm 103, and it's really interesting. This is actually, this is kind of like the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. Exodus 34, especially verses 6 and 7, Exodus 34 6 and 7, these are the two most often quoted and referenced verses of anything in the Hebrew Bible by other authors of the Old Testament. So this is kind of like their John 3.16. This is the the verse that if you have one verse that every, you know, elementary school Israelite kid has memorized, it's going to be Exodus 34, 6, and 7, because it so clearly talks about who God is and what his character is like. This is what it says. Um, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to kind of walk through it and explain it. So Exodus 34, verse 5, it says, And the Lord descended in the cloud, and he stood with him there. So he stands with Moses. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. towards the earth, and he worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Okay, so this is what God says. This is who God says that he is. And we're going to break this down into six different sections, six things that God says that he is, that are essential to understanding his his character. And remember I said at the beginning that so often our environment that we grow up in shapes our our view of God. And the way we view God, it shapes our relationship with God, it it shapes the way we we feel in different types of situations, it shapes our, our behavior. And so I want you to kind of take a minute and think, when you think about God, what comes to your mind? what types of, of people, maybe a father figure or a mother figure, maybe a coach or a leader or a teacher, uh, maybe somebody else in your family, what types of people have kind of shaped the way you view God? Because in some ways they might be similar and that's a, that's a blessing. It gives us a little taste of the character of God. But in other ways, all of us have experiences with people that, that don't reflect the character of God, which will distort in one way or another, will distort the way we, we view him. So the first thing, six things that God says about his character, the first thing he says is that the Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful. I want you to turn with me, um, turn ahead in uh, the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. Turn there with me real quick. Um, this word, this word that's translated merciful this is a, a word that's often translated in the Bible as compassion. And this is often used to describe, this is a this is kind of an emotional word. It, it, it's used very often to describe the emotional bond between a parent and a child. And in particular, between a mother and a child. So turn with me to Exodus or sorry to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 verse 15. This is in one of those passages that talks of this, talking about Jesus, He's talking about the coming, the servant of the Lord, the coming Messiah. And um, it's interesting. The word that's translated compassion or merciful, it's very similar to the word. Uh, it's very similar to the word in Hebrew for a womb, like a mother's womb. And what it's saying, the implication is that God feels the way um, God feels about us the same way that a mother feels about a child that, that she's born in her, in her own womb. Um, so in Exodus, or in Isaiah 49, 15, this is what it says. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child? Can a woman forget her nursing child? And for those of you who are mothers or who are fathers, you, know, you, can, you might be able to relate to that feeling of when you see your child pain when you when you hear them cry out there's just something inside of you you have a deep you are deeply moved there's a deep response that your heart goes out to them you care for them you you want to help them so it says can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb and again this word compassion is the same word that's used to describe God it says even these may forget yeah, I will not forget you. So God says that He loves us just like a, a mother loves her child, and even more because even even if a mother somehow a mother could forget her child, God would not forget us. And so God, in the same way that a mother cares about her child, God cares about His His children. And you know we've seen this over and over again throughout the whole Old Testament, but especially a verse that comes to mind is in Exodus chapter two when the people of Israel, again, these are God's children. You think about the mother and you hear your child's cry coming from the other room and you get that, like, oh, I hope my child's okay and I want to go check on them. And uh, in Exodus chapter 2, it says that the the people, they're being oppressed, they're being harassed, they're suffering uh, in slavery in in Egypt. And it says, at at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says that God heard, he heard the cries of his people he saw their suffering it says that God heard and God knew and God remembers his promise that he made to Abraham Isaac and Jacob and so he had compassion on them and he went to act to save them and so as I think about this you know um how does this affect the way we relate to God if God is merciful or compassionate the same way a mother is merciful with her child Well, I think that if we, if we really, as we start to experience God's compassion and His mercy, we'll be able to be more and more open with God. We'll be able to be more and more open with God. Yeah, I think about my my own mother, and I mean, she'd be the first to tell you that she's far from perfect, but she there's I've always I've never once doubted that she deeply cares about me that she really wants to know how I'm doing. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to, to Chick-fil-A or if I'm going to the store or something and the, the, the wait, waitress or the cashier asks me, hey, how are you doing? You know, I, I mean, I, I know that's, that's polite. Oh, I'm fine, how are you? Oh, I'm good, okay, let me pay for this. But when my mom asks me, you know, Ryan, how, how are you doing? I know that she really wants to know. I know that she cares about me. She has compassion on me. And so that lets me be able to open up to her and to be honest with her and to tell her how I'm really doing and to be vulnerable with her. And in the same way, um, to the extent to which we understand God's mercy and his compassion, we're going to be able to be open with him. Just like David in the Psalms, pouring out our heart, telling him what we're struggling with, telling him what we're excited about, telling him what we're angry about and being open and vulnerable with, with God. So that's number one, that God is merciful. The second thing it says is that God is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And, and gracious just means that God, he delights, he loves to just shower gifts on his children. He loves to give his children really good gifts, and especially when they don't deserve it. know it's not he's not saying okay you did this you earned it so I'm going to give you something he loves to give his children gifts that they don't deserve just extravagantly generous gifts that they haven't earned at all you know as I think about this I was having a conversation with with Lindsay with my wife Lindsay last night and we were listening to some music we were driving the car and listening to music and stuff and um, and and my wife Lindsay she studied uh, linguistics and speech and hearing in in college so she kind of knows about some of the stuff and she said we're listening to music and and she, she we kind of paused and she said do you know that there's just countless tiny little bones in our ear and that when the sound waves hit those bones that they start to vibrate at different frequencies and that's what allows us to hear music that's what allows us to hear A sound that you're making with your with your mouth you know hits the bones in my ear and it vibrates so I can I can understand what you're saying I can appreciate this music I just it just makes me think I mean that's so generous of God like he didn't have to make us be able to hear you know he we could have just communicated with like grunts and with pointing and with kind of text messages or, or whatever But God, he created a world, he didn't just give us life, he gives us a world that's full of all different types of sights and tastes and smells and sounds. He lets us appreciate music and so many other things. And we see this in Exodus 2 where God, he doesn't just, he has compassion on his people. He doesn't just take them out of Egypt and say, all right, you know, I saved you, best of luck to you. No, he, he takes them out of Egypt, and as he's doing that, it says that he takes, he plunders the Egyptians from with lots and lots of their treasures, their gold, their jewels. And he, the, the Egyptian people, they give that they freely give the, the Jewish people these treasures that they have. So he, he gives them, he showers them with all these treasures, and not only that, he gives them, he doesn't just give them these treasures, he takes them to this wonderful, beautiful, prime piece of real estate, the land of Canaan, and he gives it to him as a home. That from the very beginning, whether it's designing our eyes, designing all our, our taste buds, or our, our ear, our eardrums, um, to to the, the the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, God has over and over and over again just been incredibly extravagantly generous and gracious with with His people. As I think about this, as we start to understand that God is a gracious God who delights to give good gifts to his children. I think that what this does is it it frees us up that because we know that God is just, he's just going to give and give and give and give and give better things than we could ever even know to ask for. It frees us up to just to stop thinking about ourselves, stop trying to look out for ourselves, stop trying to worry about, am I going to get enough out of life? Am I going to get enough money? Am I going to get enough whatever? And just give ourselves completely to serve others. Say, I want to make my life completely about serving others. And it's not because I don't want to be happy. It's because I know that my Father in Heaven, He is gracious. And He loves to give me good gifts. I don't have to try to, try to weasel them out of Him. You know, I know he's going to just continually, you know, goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. And I think whether that's with our finances, with our careers, um, that this truth that God is gracious, it frees us up to, to make our lives about being as extravagantly generous as we can to, to both the Lord and especially to others. Because we know that God is going to be, he, he's going to, no matter how generous we could be with others, God's generosity will far, far exceed that. Well the third thing it says is that God is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger. And this word slow to anger, it basically just means he's he's patient or he's long suffering. It means that God puts up with a lot before he gets angry. And you know, God he, he gets angry he, he gets angry sometimes, and we saw him get mad just in the last chapter in Exodus thirty two. But God is long-suffering. As you as you read through, you know Genesis and then Exodus, you see over and over again. It's just like the the first chance that whether it's Adam and Eve or whether it's Abraham or whether it's you know the the Israelite people. It's like the first chance they get to betray God and rebel against God. They they do it and they do it just like that. Um, but, but God, you know, he he doesn't, he doesn't just lose his temper at him. He's patient. He puts up with so much from his children. Um, it, what this makes me think of is that it makes me think of a, of a contrast of um, a, a person I, I know, a basketball coach of mine, and you know, we were talking about these different authority figures that kind of, for better or for worse, shape the way we view God. You know, One of them for me uh, is one of the basketball coaches I had in high school, and he was very uh, he was very quick to anger. <laughs> he was not slow to anger. He was he was quick to anger and he was abounding in profanity and curses to anybody that would turn the ball over or miss a free throw or, or whatever. And I just remember I mean this coach he would just uh, and he you know he was it was kind of this weird relationship because I mean, I guess he wanted me to do well because we were on the same team. so I guess in that sense he was kind of pulling for me. Um, but, but he, he would just take, he was just looking for an excuse to lose his temper and fly off the handle and start calling me all these different names and just, you know, cussing me up, up one side and down the other. And I remember I was just so afraid to make a mistake around him. And I would just get so nervous to make these kind of nervous mistakes because I was just so much on edge. And, um, that's not the way God is. And another person that I think... to me at least has been kind of a, a picture of what God is like is one of my best friends from, from China. Um, this, this buddy of mine who he's just, he's just a very patient person. He's a really, really good athlete. And I remember one time he was taking me rock climbing. Now my friend, his name is Addison, and he's just a, he's an incredible rock climber. He's entered a lot of different competitions and stuff like that. And he he's, He's a really good rock climber, and I had never rock climbed in my life, so I had no idea what I was doing. And he was just such a a patient guide and a patient coach. Like, I could just tell that even though he could do all these cool things, he could have just, you know, scurried up the, the mountainside just fast as I'll get out. But he just delighted in seeing me make a little bit of progress. You know, he just, he would get so excited. And he, I mean, I would just the same kind of hold uh, the same little, you know, patch of rock, like that he could just do, you know, just like that without thinking, I would just have to do it over and over and over again. And finally I would get it. And he would just be so genuinely excited for me. And you know, the, I, that's what God is like, that God, he genuinely delights just to not to rush us, but to walk alongside us and to help us grow into the people that he has made us to be and what this should do you know like i said with my basketball coach i was always on edge i made these nervous mistakes i could never be as good as i i really think i could have been because he was so quick to anger but on the other hand with, with my friend addison i was able to relax and i was able to really do the best that i could um, and, and achieve as much as i could Um, when I was going rock climbing with him and and that's the way when we realize that God is slow to anger that's what it does to us it allows us to relax to not beat ourselves up when we make a mistake or or sin but to be able to trust that God loves us um, and that he's he's pulling for us he delights to see even just the smallest little bit of growth and um, and so we can just continue to, to walk to walk with him and to walk in his love so the, the fourth thing that says is God is abounding and steadfast love. He is abounding and steadfast love. Um, this is that word, that Hebrew word uh, chesed that we talked about before that it's, it's notoriously difficult to translate, but the Jesus Storybook Bible is my favorite translation that it says, this is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And it's this idea that God, he's this gracious God, he promises these things that we would even never think to ask for. You know, we, we would never, as a slave in Egypt, would never imagine to ask the God of the universe, you know, give me all the gold in Egypt and give me the best piece of land that everybody's fighting over. They never think to ask for that. But God promises that to him. And his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love means that he keeps his promises. He makes these extravagant promises to them and, and to us and then he keeps them he keeps every single last one of them well fifth uh, this this passage says that God is is forgiving it says that God is forgiving I'm gonna uh, flip back to it just so I can read it uh, read the specific uh, verse as it's as it's written there it says that God is forgiving this is 34 verse 7 He's keeping steadfast love for thousands, that, that is thousands of generations, just generation after generation. His love never changes. And it says that he, he, he is forgiving, what's the word like? He's forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So basically what this means is that God, God doesn't hold grudges. He, he doesn't hold grudges that he, um, he won't just, we'll talk about this in a second, he won't ignore our sin, but he will also, um, when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, like it says in First John, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, and then not only that, to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So he doesn't keep that as, you know, a, he doesn't keep a record of wrongs, he doesn't keep that on his list, like, well, hey, I remember that one time Ryan did that, and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to let him forget that. No God. God doesn't hold any grudges, and I think a, a perfect example of that is is the golden calf. You know, we we just saw it in Exodus 32 how I mean the people the the first chance they get, God's done all this for them. He's promised so much to them. He's shown them so much. The first chance they get, they immediately turn on turn on him and and betray him. Um, but but God, when Moses intercedes, he he forgives them. And he like in Psalm one oh three is talking about, he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers their sins no more. So he he's forgiving. When we repent and we confess, he he will he will forgive us and he'll accept us as as righteous. And I, I think when we think about God, the fact that he is forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the the effect this should have on us is that the more we understand that god is forgiving the more we are able to be honest with god the more we are able to be honest with god you think about about david i mentioned him before how he was able to be open with god he's the man after god's own heart he he trusted in god's love and compassion so much that he was able to to tell god when he was angry when he was sad when he was upset whatever it was but not only that david was able to be honest with god and he was when he when he sinned, when he committed adultery, when he committed murder, he was able to come to God boldly and say, "You know, God, I know you're forgiving. This is what I did. I sinned against you. I sinned against these other people. Um, now I need you to forgive me, right?" And, and I think if we, I know that if we understand that God is a forgiving God, we won't try to hide our sin. We won't try to pretend like we're better than we're actually are. But instead, we'll be able to be honest about our sin. Well, there's a question if you're if you're following this and you, you, you listen to these five attributes, you know, God is merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, he's forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. If you're, if you're, a, if you're hearing this and if you're a person who is being oppressed, if you're somebody who's being abused, somebody who's being taken advantage of, somebody who's being mistreated, like the Israelites often were, whether it's by the Canaanites, by the Egyptians, by the Philistines, whoever, um, and you know maybe some of us that um, that that are, are being mistreated, they're being abused, and certainly people around the world that are experiencing persecution, you're going to hear about oh God, so He's abounding in steadfast love, He's slow to anger, all the stuff, and you're going to think well, but what about what about people that do evil things? What about the people that that have said these terrible horrible things about me? What about these people that have just scarred me and hurt me and damaged me? What about that? You know, the the, the slow to anger, compassionate, forgiving, God, like I I mean, is he just going to let that go? Is he not going to make that right? Well, at the end of verse 7, God, God addresses this. It says, He's forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so basically what this means is that God, that he, not only is all these things I mentioned, he's also just. He's also just. And um, so some, some people have misinterpreted this passage about visiting the sins of the fathers and the children the children's children to talk about like generational curses or things like that this idea that if your father does something bad then somehow god's going to make your life harder to punish you or something like that and, and that's that's a misinterpretation that's not what this text is talking about in fact i'll read this is from ezekiel 18 ezekiel eighteen twenty. 20. Um, This is what God says. He says, The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. And then before that, he says, The soul who sins shall die. So God's very clear. And you look at John 9 and lots of other places, too, that God doesn't, he doesn't punish it. When when people sin, he punishes that person for, for the sin. He holds them accountable. He doesn't hold other people accountable but what this means about visiting the iniquity on the children and children's children is that when we sin, there's natural consequences. And when we sin, very often our children see that and they end up repeating the patterns that they, that they see in us. And so very often the sins that the parents commit, both because of the consequences of those sins and because of just the apple not falling too far from the tree, um, very often those sins get repeated, and you see that in the people of Israel too. You see the family brokenness with, with Abraham, you see it with Isaac, with Jacob, all the way down to, to Joseph and his brothers, and just the, you see the dysfunction, you see the, the, the polygamy, you see brothers cheating brothers and, and killing brothers and stuff like that. Um, you see the natural consequences. And so, But what this is saying is that sin in every generation, since the third and fourth generation, in every generation, just like God's love is consistent, His His justice is also consistent. In any generation, God will hold people accountable for the sins that they that they commit. That He will He will um, that they will experience the natural consequences of those sins. And ultimately, you know, they'll come a point where God is slow to anger, but He will get angry. Just like with Pharaoh, how He destroyed Pharaoh and He judged Pharaoh there will come a point where God will give us what our sins deserve. But the encouraging thing with this is while it says that he visits the sins of the fathers and the children to the third or fourth generation, so, you know, it, he does, it, these sins have consequences long term, but, but, but look at the contrast here. It says that he shows, he's abounding in steadfast love to thousands, to, to the thousandth generation. But he visits the iniquity of the third and fourth generation. Well, what does this mean? This means that God, yes, he will get angry. He will hold us accountable for our sin. He will punish injustice. But he is he is just beside himself eager to show his steadfast love. And that's why we see over and over again in the Bible these broken, messed up people that God God is just like, I'm going to show them love anyway. And, and, he, and he works in people's lives so that they repent and they come back to him. And he uh, and he shows them love, and he brings them into his family. Well, I think what this does for us, because God is just, we know that He will ultimately see in Jesus Christ that He's either going to punish the people for their sin, or He's going or He's going to punish Jesus for those people's sin. That allows us to be forgiving. That allows us to be forgiving. That the fact that I know, you know, if if God's just going to let him get away with it. Well, then maybe I need to, you know, maybe I need to kind of give him something. But if God's going to be merciful, but if God's going to be just, He's going to hold him accountable. That means I can forgive, even if people have done terrible things to me. Well, I want to close. Just, um, I want to close by reading. I want to close by praying, and I want to close by, by reading a, a prayer. It's, it's a, it's a prayer from straight out of the Bible, from the book of Ephesians. This is a prayer that Paul prays for, for uh, the church in, in Ephesus. And I think it's really, it's a prayer about understanding God's love. Um, and, and the reason I think it's so appropriate is that, you know I listed several things here, these different ways that we experience God. I talked about, you know, that if we, that if we, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. Think about yourself. How are you experiencing the Lord? Are you experiencing him how he truly is? Or are you still, because of that relationship with the parents, or because of whatever, you're you're assuming that he you're projecting that onto God? Are you able to be open with God? If not, it's probably because you don't really understand His compassion. Are you able to really fully give yourself generously? If not, it's probably because you don't really understand God's graciousness. Are you able to be at ease before God? Or are you just... Always worried you're going to make a mistake. If not, then it's probably because you don't understand that God is slow to anger. Are you able to be honest with God and honest with others to live that open life? If not, it's probably because you don't really fully understand God's forgiveness. Are you able to forgive when people do horrible, terrible things to you? Are you able to forgive? And if not, it's probably because you don't fully understand God's justice and the fact that he has punished jesus for all the sins of the people that trust in him and everybody will either have jesus bear their sins or will bear the consequences for their own sins and if not you know i would guess that for all of us there's a couple things on that list that that we struggle with i know for myself by the fact that i've had amazing parents that have loved me unconditionally i struggle very often to be open with god it's hard for me to really believe that god really wants to know how i'm doing does he really want to know how i'm doing or does he just kind of or is he just gonna kind of listen to me so that I'll do what he wants me to do. Does God really love me enough to want to know how I'm doing? Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We called this the way of Christ. You know, the way of the way of the tabernacle, or the way of the you know, the way of the tabernacle is. Oh, I've got to be more open with God. I'm not open enough with God. Oh, God's gonna get mad at me if I'm not open with Him. So I got to be really open. That's the way of, of fear and the way of shame. But the way of Christ is, you know. I can come to God and I can tell Him, Lord, I need You to help me understand Your compassion more. I need You to pour out more of Your love on me. I need You to help me understand Your grace more. I need You to help me understand Your patience, all these things more, because that's the only way that we can truly start to respond to God as He is. If this Holy Spirit does this in us, so I want to close by reading this prayer. This is uh, Ephesians three, starting in verse fourteen. Um, and this is my prayer for you, and I would encourage you to make this your prayer for yourself and, and for others as well, as we all look at different ways that we don't really experience the Lord for being who He truly is. We're still thinking of Him through the prism of our own experiences. Uh, I'll read this, and, and this will be this will be the end. This is what Paul says in Ephesians three, fourteen. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think, according to to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Love you guys, praying for you. Uh, Hope you're staying warm, hope you're staying safe, and can't wait to see you next week at White Oak on Sunday.